I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 454 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, go get your dancing shoes on today because I have got an awesome, legendary dancing dad joining me on the podcast. Maxim Chimerkovsky is a Latin ballroom dancing champion, choreographer, and instructor. He is best known for being one of the professional dancers on Dancing with the Stars. Maxim dominated the dance floor on Dancing with the Stars for 17 seasons, making it to the final round five times, and he took home the Mira Ball Trophy back in 2014 when he was paired up with Olympian Merrill Davis. Some of Maxim's other dancing partners on the program included Aaron Andrews, Kirstie Alley, Hope Solo, Brandy, Layla Ali, and so many others. Most recently, Maxim was the runner-up on the first season of The Masked Dancer. He was the one wearing the sloth costume. All right, you guys are going to get a chance to hear Maxim like you've never heard him before. We're going to take a deep dive into his life from the Ukraine to Brooklyn to L.A. and, of course, his fatherhood journey. It's an honor to have him on the podcast today. Maxim Chirikovsky will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Maxim Chimerkovsky was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between the Dancing with the Stars phenomenon and myself, please get over and hit me with a subscribe on YouTube. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and if you dads enjoy watching these competition reality TV shows or your wife or partner makes you sit through them, please go back and take a listen to some of the other dads that I've interviewed here on the podcast, including Survivor legend Boston Rob, The Voice winner Craig Wayne Boyd, The Bachelorette winner of the first season Ryan Sutter, Bachelor Jason Mesnick, America's Got Talent runner-up Oz Perlman, and so many others, all available for you guys to listen to in the archives of the podcast. All right, and Friday on the show, we're going to go from the dance floor to the mats, as I will be joined here by legendary Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion and UFC fighter Henzo Gracie. So don't miss out on that one. Make sure you guys are following me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. I got some real bangers on the way, so make sure you follow me over there. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please consider hitting me with a rating or review. That always goes a long way to help me out. And as always, guys, please help me with that good old word of mouth. Please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Maxim Chimerkovsky. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, if we learned anything this last year, it's that building health and immunity is more important than ever, and that all begins with what you put on your plate. Bel Campo is on a mission to revolutionize the meat industry for the well-being of people, the planet, and animals by farming meat the right way with certified humane, regenerative, and climate-positive practices, which means it's better for you, the planet, and the animals. That's a trifecta that I'm proud to be a part of, and right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can have Belcampo sustainably raised meats delivered right to your door using my promo code FATHERHOOD at belcampo.com forward slash fatherhood and get 20% off your first order. Go visit belcampo.com forward slash fatherhood, use the promo code FATHERHOOD at the checkout, and save 20% off your first order at Belcampo. Uh, joining me now, First Class Father, Maxim Chimkovsky. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm still working uh, on the First Class Father title. so. Well, that's where you are in this show. Let's start it right there. How many kids? How old? <laughs> One and four years old. Um, yeah. 
working on on obviously more but uh what a crazy experience yeah very cool now when did you guys find out what you were having with your son or did you guys wait till the end to find out no no we found out we're like the most impatient parents and like is it now is it is it is it now can we find out now um no the whole process was crazy and i i I still remember like it was yesterday you know peter called and i was on the tour bus uh and she's like hey called me oh no she texted me she's like call me when you can oh she said something like get up get 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 away from everybody and called me i'm like we were driving from <laughs> city to city and this everyone is on on on, on my bus from for that leg of the, you know we're just like playing games or something like that and uh, i was like no tell me now and so she called and she was like it's a boy and you know the whole thing erupted and uh, i'm not gonna lie it was i was uh was i you know when i i when my parents asked me when i was little what i wanted a brother or sister i said sister off the bat right away and didn't get it you know got the brother so i for some reason i felt like had she said a girl i'd be in love as well but i feel like i don't know something about it's a boy for a man i i don't know i don't know it felt it felt like this is the right thing to have happened. And now let's have all the girls after that. Like we're good with the boy <laughs> with the boys now. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I had we had our three boys first and then got the girl on the fourth try. So uh, I was we pretty persistent Resilient. on that as well. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we didn't get her on four, we'd have five by now. But we got her and she runs the show over here now. So love it. Uh, Max, if you could, please just take a second here to hit my listeners a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh, I'm a professional dancer, uh, I would say specifically ballroom dancer why specifically is because that's what landed me on you know end of the day result of why we're sitting here is uh, dancing with the stars in 2005 um i was a competitive ballroom dancer from ukraine uh, we immigrated with my family in 94 kept it moving kept it dancing quite literally and then um you know reached heights uh represented us for all these years since the 90s and uh, by the time Dancing with the Stars came to U.S., they literally just went down the list and said, hey, you know, we want this guy who's ranked number one and so on and so forth. And, you know, I said no many times and eventually gave in, luckily for me. Uh, and here we are. Yeah, well, what an amazing ride it's been. Now, what, what was the genesis of you getting involved in dance? Like for, for myself, I'm, if I don't have the Majerski vodka in me, I ain't hitting the dance floor. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So were you always the dance from a kid? What was the spark that led you to, on this path here? I had nothing to do with dance. I didn't think I wanted to have anything to do with dance. It was a, uh, it was a very, um, you know, it's, it's again, it's why we're in this, on, in, in this communication is because it was my parents, you know, and it's a, it's a kind of like a cute thing to say. Everybody always like, oh, you know, my mom and dad was so good, but my mom and dad were amazing, you know, and the first thing they did were, well, first of all, they had me when they were quite young, doing their you know late teens when they found out and i think the 20s is when you know pops had a you know had a baby right and so you know they're the same age 1920 and so you know when here i am this is 1981 82 83 84 when i'm one two three four and so they're figuring out what to do with me and i think that they landed on the most genius simplest you know philosophy you know if you limit us three time you know, he's bound not to get in more trouble than less, right? And then it just kind of got away from them in the sense of like, you know, dancing started at, well, at four, they sent me to a school of some kind of performing arts. 
at four, like, okay, can you can can give me a yeah, let me live a little, you know? <laughs> um, but then, you know, then somebody walked in and kind of like pointed at the boys and said, hey, you know, these five, if you want them to join ballroom dancing school, and again, nobody knew what that was. My parents, two engineers, two four left feet between the two of them. Um, you know, Pop's got a mean clap and a little knee jerk and a head bop. And that's about it. You know, and here we are, the dance family, you know. So it was interesting. But, you know, I got to tell you, uh, my role models and the way they pursued this whole, like, upbringing, in, you know, raising a child, uh, because they worked, you know. But it got away from them. By by that, I mean that, you know, at five, I joined ballroom dance school. Then by six, I was in you know school first grade and then it was the you know after school curriculum of like you know the the, the math and the sciences and then um you know the ussr or post ussr school system was crazy already to begin with and so they kept piling on things afterwards i i was in a soccer team i was in tennis team i was in you know some kind of making uh i was in a club that was making toy planes and you know model planes and model boats i remember like vividly cutting and gluing and you know sending them out um i was a chemistry and biology major when i was in sixth seventh grade i remember i spent the whole summer um getting tutored in chemistry in order to apply to the school that was just like super crazy um i made a junior olympic I think USSR at that time because it fell apart in about like 89-ish. It started to, the 89, it was just all, all kind of like separate countries. But until within that period of time, like when I was eight, nine, I was chosen to an uh, Olympic reserve for USSR for swimming. Parents didn't want me to move to Moscow where that, whatever that, whatever that, you know, thing was meant to be where I should, would have lived and trained and become this Olympic swimmer, whatever that was. Um, so dancing kind of stuck around as, you know, the through line, you know, a lot of things started and kind of fade out. I think tennis fade out because of the money, to be honest, we never had any money. And so these things were like, if we can afford, let's do it. I had no idea. I just knew that I was always busy and that I always had something to do. And it was always like, Hey, one, you know, since we're already doing it, why don't we try to be the best at it? Right. Let's low-key do your best at everything you do and then it kind of like you know i'm not sure if my parents were obsessive i don't think they were but there was a lot of push on whatever you do do it at your best and then next thing you know i'm doing freaking everything and everything has to be top top level yeah well one thing you say there maximum you say the more time you're doing the dance or you're involved in these activities the less time you spend on the street less time you get a chance to get in trouble one of the things one of the problems we got in the u.s and I yeah. talk about it on the show all the time is we got a fatherless crisis going on in our country right. here where so many kids right. growing up without a father. And that leads them right into the path of getting into all this trouble. If they don't find that father figure, uh, it's having a devastating result on our society. Is that is that similar in Russia? Is there a fatherless problem over there? Or do you see that more here uh, as a, what is the difference between families over in Russia and opposed to a families over here in America? I mean, my country is Ukraine just to kind of separate for the sake of geography and the <laughs> fact that this is what it is. You know, USSR was this one big giant, you know, Cold War threat. Now it's like 15 different countries that can get it together. Um, but but <laughs> Ukraine, you know, growing up in Ukraine was 
pretty crazy, like I said, because I was in that period of time when everything fell apart and I was already sort of kind of understanding things. Um, but I have to say that the, 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 what I've noticed with our upbringing is that I think it was kind of like, I think the fatherless problem is a big issue everywhere. You know, I think that whenever there's a conflict, uh, people tend to, people, and by conflict, I mean like it's tough in this country or it's tough in that country or it's tough, you know what I'm saying? Like wherever you, that region is. At that time, it was a very hot region. Things were falling apart. People were not, there was no social services. So there were no, opportunities to work you know the the work opportunities is is what makes a man um what makes a man you know like we could just end it at that right and so when you have a man or you have men group of men country of men countries of men that don't have the opportunities to work and provide and make their surroundings happy right in the fact that they're working and providing, right? Because don't forget back then, you know, it's kind of relevant now that we're talking about it, but that phrase, the woman belongs in the kitchen, that was some bullshit that, that was said and it was said quite often. And it was kind of like the way the old world was built, right? And so let's not talk about it, but let's talk about the other side. That old world was built on that. So then the opposite side of that was, well, then men gotta go and do that thing. Right. So if the country doesn't provide the opportunities for that man, even though this backwards mentality, you know, exists, that man comes home without having brought anything. This is going to become an issue. And so what I noticed and I didn't notice it in Ukraine, just to your point, I noticed that once we immigrated that I, you know, we ended up in East New York, in Brooklyn, again, very Russian influenced by Russian. I mean, Russian speaking. Right. So. The confusion, Russia, Ukraine, we all spoke Russian. USSR was just one big Russia. And then when it fell apart, everybody adopted their native language. So a lot of Russian-speaking people would end up in East New York and Brooklyn. And what I noticed is that there's a whole generation of immigrants that just didn't make it as families. You know, man, look, you know, it was tough over there. It's not cake over here. <laughs> you know, that's a misconception. Everybody's like, oh, let's go to America. Money falls from the sky and, you know, Terminator walks around the streets and Batman can fly in whenever you dial 911. None of that is happening, right? What happens is that my dad's working three jobs, two of them a dishwashing pizzeria, and the other one is delivering the pizzeria, the pizzas from a different pizzeria, right? So, you know, while studying, while trying to assimilate, while having two kids, eight and 14, and a wife who have spent that time being the mother, you know, being the, 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 the not the housewife, but she was the nucleus of the family so that he can go and do this thing that he does, right? And he did. And a lot of parents didn't. A lot of fathers said, and again, I'm not judging. I'm just saying the reality was that it was so hard. And it was so not what it was advertised as immigrating, you know, everything's free. Um, that men were just like, look, you know, I can't do this thing that I'm supposed to do and bring that piece of steak. Um, and at the same time, and because of that, I'm, I'm not bad, but I'm like, there's issues and we're fighting and there's trouble. You know what? Let me just start fresh. And men would leave, you know, and so that would become that fatherless. And again, the same thing is in you know, the, 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 the below blue 
other, you know, situated ghettos, you know, the third world countries, the conflict countries, you know, that whenever there's a region that has groups of people that are not making it, you know, and are not privileged, um, it's a, it's a problem. And so, you know, I got to say that my parents, you know, are my heroes, regardless of, you know, the fights that we have. And obviously I'm 41. So we've spent 41 years living together, going through things, going ups and downs. Never have I ever, ever felt given up on, you know, and that's the biggest thing. My brother and I felt more love than we a lot of times deserved. Uh, certainly more love than a lot of my friends around me would get, you know, and, uh, and, and, and it would show not just in extra hugs and kisses, but it would be shown in the fact that whenever I come home, I actually felt safe. I felt like I can, you know, I can recharge and that English language that I don't understand this high school that I've seen the most violence in my entire life in three years of my high school in Brooklyn, you know, and, and this UFC right now does not compare to, you know, some things that you see that goes on in that kind of environment where you got like 2,000 people crammed into into a building. They come from different places. There's no time for everybody to assimilate, to sink or swim, right? So whenever I would come home, I would feel safe. And that's, you know, that's where discrepancy lies you know that's where families fall apart when when the two people in charge the ones that made the commitment to each other and the ones that come after are not willing to you know say look you know this is tough but because of all of this we got to do what we have to do you know people just give up yeah very well said yeah and, and uh it's a shame when it does happen because, like I said, it does it does uh, have a toll on our society, and it's easier said than done too. And and I realize that. And then you know, obviously, just a disclaimer: I'm not judging anybody. I'm not judging men. I'm not judging women that leave. I'm not, you know, I I'm not judging is also not a word, but like, you know, I get it. I get it. You know, you make an option. There's a door A, you know, option A and option B, maybe C, D and F, whatever. I'm an option A guy in the sense that if I made a commitment to my wife, you know, I'm committed to my wife. You know, if I made commitment to having kids with my wife or with that person, I'm having kids with that person. I made commitment to that family unit now. Um, I may sound a little like, oh, you know, you're saying it because you and Peter are great and your kid is fine and, you know, all of this stuff. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, you know, this was the reason why we didn't get married or together when I was 18. You know, she was 19. We're not high school sweethearts. That type of stuff. It was not my life journey. My life journey is that I met my eventual wife and we got married. First, we had a kid and then we got married in my mid-30s, you know. So by the time I was in this whole fatherhood, I was not just ready and willing. I was set and ready to go. And even then, I had no idea what it was. And even then, we went through a lot of stuff that everybody goes through. But we had this buffer because we're not we're not kids ourselves yet already, you know. And so, I think it helped. I, I always do make the disclaimer there too when I talk about this that it never takes anything away from the single moms that are out there working miracles and doing these things because no. it's not to take anything away from them. 
just saying that the fact of, uh, you know, and, and what you mentioned there too before, I know Burger King put that out there as a clickbait thing. Women belong. I saw that today. Yeah. They, they did that for an advertising purpose to draw people in. But, but that slogan, we've definitely changed the way we view moms and the way we view women in the workforce, that whole thing, the, 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 the way we look at the dads, they have changed as well. And, and it's like, right. like I always say on my show, we're not babysitters. We're fathers. We get that sometimes. You'd be out at the supermarket and do that. Oh, you're babysitting the kid today for, you You know. So it's like they still have that kind of negative stigma to the father, which which I yeah. think needs to change as well. Absolutely. Listen, I, uh, I I just said to my wife, she's out with, with her girls for dinner. And, um, you know, I can't be happier. You know, I uh, I've always... I've always supported that, you know, she needs to have her own thing. And I've always supported that you also have me, you know, I'm also the guy who's completely in love and attached to our kid. Um, I have nowhere near mom son connection. And I know that because I am a you know, mama's boy myself. Um, and I'm not just fine with that. I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm happy that, you know, I'm a boy growing into a man in my in my view one of the most important fundamental things is to have that mom connection you know we talked about in the beginning like you know fatherless situation terrible motherless situation is worse you know to me in my understanding um you can get through some of the fatherless things but that a mom you yeah, know what I'm saying? and I'll tell you what, I, I could speak to this. Like, personally, I lost both of my parents before I became a father myself. And when I'm in these moments, uh, and I've, I've talked about this parenting without parents before on the show, but it's when I'm in these moments with my kids, it's always my mother I think about. And never right. like I do, don't think like, oh, what my father, like I'm always constantly talking to my mom when I can, whether it be through prayer, meditation, whatever it may be. And I'm always trying to have those conversations with her because it's her that I really wish. Uh, could be here in, in a lot of these moments with me, you know. And I don't know that, you know. Thank God, knock on wood, whatever. And I hope my parents stay around for forever. But, you know, I know that it's not the reality. And one day, it's you know, it's gonna perish. And I see my grandma today, um, in her late 80s, and with some, you know, all time Alzheimer's that she has, and you know, and I and I and I could see that that you know the sadness in my dad's eyes and you know god forbid if that's ever my mom you know i just it'll be very devastating because of the connection that we have right and that connection is what allowed me to you know make the right choices you know make choices that were right for the situation you know it might not have been the right choice but it was correct choice for the situation because i feel the connection with a mom you know and so um you have the fatherless fig, uh, problem for sure you know but like i said the motherless problem would have been a much bigger issue um there's some fundamental connection that's required you know when you come out of your of, of your pair of your mom you don't you're not birthed by your dad you're birthed by your mom you know and and maybe what i'm saying is a little bit controversial we have a lot of couples. We have friends that are, you know, two man couples that have incredible parenting instincts that are doing a phenomenal job with their kids. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that if that's not your path, you know, <clears throat> between moms and dads missing in, in, in a person's life, I think mom is a much heavier, you know, heavier uh, sort of effect 
and 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 go to go back to uh to go back to what you asked me before about my country and and where i come from and and whether there's a father you know parentless but fatherless specifically problem i think that problem is whatever there's a conflict you know there's plenty of wars you know i grew up when i was growing up again in former ussr military was mandatory you know in the beginning of 80s i remember um, I don't remember because I was one, two, three, four, five, but by the time I was like nine and, you know, I saw eight, seven, eight, nine, I think is when Afghanistan conflict was coming to an end. And so we had, we seen our boys come back. And I remember my, my uncle, my mom's youngest brother come, coming in from, from the war. And that's when I realized later in the years, I remember that memory, going back to that memory, I realized that we were sending 18 year old kids who are mandatory, just mandatory in my army. We would give them rifle and we would tell them, hey, do this point over there and send them straight to Nagorno Karabakh. I don't know how to say it in English, but this was that conflict zone, you know, in, in between whatever it was, Afghanistan and the Russian USSR territory. That's crazy. That's wartime. That's actual wartime. That's actual kind of like World War II when the whole world all of a sudden had to go and do that thing. And this was meant to be a conflict that isn't even our conflict, right? So those kind of situations where the, I guess, you know, government doesn't really provide alternatives, you know, that's what leads to, hey, you know what? Not even going to have kids right now because why? I'm about to go do that stuff that I, you know, why would I want to birth someone and then leave them parentless, right? Um, but you know, on the other side, the reality is that women, you know, in their basic most instinct have to kind of have that where the reproduction side, you know, the, the biological clock ticking, right? So you have women who still want to reproduce and men who are coming back messed up in the head or not coming back at all. That leads to so many different sociological issues. Um, I'm just going to touch up two seconds. You can cut it out. But you know, back at back in the day, I was uh, the first bachelor <laughs> in Ukraine when the television show came over, and uh, you know the concept was bought by the Ukrainian network. They they kind of went around and sort of tried to find that that dude that fits the bill of the first bachelor, right? And they called me, and I was already established in U.S. and already dancing with the stars. This was around 2009, 2008, something like that. I don't remember the timeline. Like, um, I remember how they got me, you know, because I kept saying no. I said no in the emails. I said no on the phone. I said, no, guys, don't, no, don't fly over. No, no, we don't have to sit down. I'm telling you, I'm not going to do it. It's just a laughable sort of thing. But they're like, look, we're going to fly in. We're going to have dinner. We're going to talk. And you don't have to do it. You just will fly back. I was like, okay, fine. I remember I came to that meeting, like out of shower. I was just in rehearsal, for, you know, one, one of my partners or something. And it was all fun and games until, until they just got me, you know, smarter people than me, psychiatrists attached to the show. And, and the way they said it is that the problem with, you know, 25 women and one guy, that's a real thing. You know, in the country of Ukraine at that time, that's how they said it. Statistically, it's a real thing, right? Because not just it's a real thing in numbers, but it's a real thing because there aren't one for one of people that are compatible in a way that this is love. And so what ends up happening is that 
slim pickings, right? <laughs> and therefore, women look around, they're like, you know what? I will get that guy, right? I want that guy. Why I want that guy? Because he's got the stability. He's financially stable, right? So if we do have kids, I know my kids are going to be taken care of, right? And they're willing to give up a lot. And like, for example, any sort of equality, you know, or any kind of like, you know, he can smack her, you know, he can raise his hand. Uh, he can be drunk and, you know, act out. Um, he can have mistresses. You can do this, that, and the other. And so the chick is just, you know, you just sit at home, you do that thing you do, and when I come, I'll come. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's a it's a we it was a weird, you know, the way it was all brought up. And so I was I was kind of built to be the guy who has the right kind of morals. And from that giant platform of the TV show they've never seen, obviously it's gonna be a big deal. And it was. Um not to kind of pat in the back this has nothing to do with me i was just a character in whatever the production they were putting together but uh there were 42 million people in the country of ukraine i think 39 watched the show there was a joke at one point like the ones that don't see just don't have electricity it was actually a big deal moment where one of us speaking our language comes from a different place I, this was 2008 i haven't been in a country for like what, 15 years at that point 14 something like that and it it really shook me and and so my bachelor experience had nothing to do with all these ladies and all these you know hugs and kisses you watch the show here it's like if it doesn't make out on day one you know it's not a show it's not going to work right um but back then they wanted it they wanted this just like debauchery and this experience and here i am and i'm like no guys i'm committed to showing men how to act you know, and I'm committed to showing women that you don't have to be sexy because you like, you know, touchy feeling and all that suave stuff. But you can have a conversation and be engaging and be interesting, you know, without thinking when are we going to, you know, how when she's going to get intoxicated enough so we can go do that thing. Right. So I may be overthinking everything. I may be. You know, I have a specific sort of like OCD when it comes to train of thought and, and how I perceive things and how I kind of like analyze stuff. And maybe I've overanalyzed. Maybe I should have just gone there and, you know, done what, you know, you see or all these bachelors do. But the way I agreed to this, you know, was, you know, I'm happy. I'm from a, I come from a happy place. You know, I come from a happy background. We've gone through that thing that a lot of my friends and a lot of their parents didn't make it out of. You know, I got out of Brooklyn. I got out of East New York, not that it's a bad place, but I got out of that situation. You know, and I, here I am and I made it. I just want everybody to to understand what it's actually like to be in the position of happiness and the right way, right? So. It's not about the money. It's not about the cars and the houses and all that. You shouldn't be, as a woman, attracted to that. And stability. You should be attracted to self-respect. You should be attracted to, not independence per se, but you should be attracted to wanting to be the best version of yourself. How can you be that when the guy you're with isn't treating you as such? And so I think that just a lot of foundation, a lot of a lot of details go into foundation of the right type of family, the right type of couple, the right type of couple for the kids. You can be an amazing couple for each other, 
you know, that's another thing, you know, but maybe you're just not the best couple for reproduction because you're not willing to give up some of you. You're not willing to give up a lot of you because, again, as a parent, you know, you are on what? How many kids you got? Four, five? Four, so like yep. you, you are on sixth place in your household. You're on sixth place. That's how I put me. You know, it's it's her and then it's them. For her, it's, you know, our son and then it's herself. But for me, it's everybody. And then it's me distant in the back. I'm like, I'm just picking up the rear. You know, so and, and jumping right on what you say, I, I think one of the problems that we do have that leads to these problems that we're seeing is the way that uh, the media or the TV Hollywood portrays this stuff. And that's what we see. I've had several of the bachelors on the show here. I, I just think we, we're going about it the wrong way, especially the way that we portray um, dads on TV. We always see the dad that's uh, single. Or, or the guy that's single, he's always sleeping around. He's got multiple girls. He's living this lifestyle. There's no responsibility. And then when we ever we see the family guy, he's always never getting laid. He's never having any fun. And it looks, you know, to, to the guy watching it, like, why in the world would I want to choose that lifestyle when I be like this guy, you know, slinging my junk all over the street? You know, so uh, I think we do a bad job of doing it. I think these shows, they, they really do point and lead men into saying, hey, this is why you're going to select this girl. So uh, hats off to you for doing it the right way. And then pulling it back into you as a father here. Uh, what, what would you say are the top values that you're hoping to instill in your son as he grows up? All right, dads, where are you buying the meat that nourishes you and your family? I used to get mine at the supermarket, but now thanks to Belcampo, it comes straight to my door and it's far better and healthier than what I was used to. And thanks to my new partnership with Belcampo, first class fatherhood listeners can now benefit as well. Grass-fed and pasture-raised meats like Belcampo have five amazing benefits for your health compared to conventional meats. Healthy fats, omega-3s, antioxidants, minerals, and yes, more omegas. Belcampo animals grow more slowly as nature intended. This is a difference you can both see and taste. And I'm telling you right now, guys, once you try it, you'll make the switch just like I did. Hey, it's your family, dads. Give them the nutritious meats that they deserve. And if you order right now, you can save 20% off your first order. Go to belcampo.com forward slash fatherhood. That's B-E-L-C-A-M-P-O.com forward slash fatherhood. And use the promo code fatherhood to save 20% off your first order. All right, guys, and the way Belcampo raises its animals isn't only better for your health, it has a positive impact on the environment as well. Go visit belcampo.com forward slash fatherhood, use that promo code fatherhood, and save 20% off your first order. A gift for first-time customers from First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, my pillow has got so much more to offer than just the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. But don't just take my word for it. Here's my wife to tell you her favorite product from my pillow. Honey, what is it? Well, I love all the my pillow products, from the robe to the towels. But my absolute favorite, hands down product, is the my pillow mattress topper on our king size bed. I have the best sleep since owning that topper. It's like sleeping at a spa resort, and I can't wait to sleep on it tonight. And I look forward to seeing you there tonight. And let me tell you something right now, guys. Happy wife, happy life. And this mattress topper has been a game changer for me. That's a guarantee. And speaking of guarantees, all my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what are you waiting for? First Class Fatherhood listeners can now save up to 66% off. That's right, up to 66% off your order using my promo code FATHERHOOD. Visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code FATHERHOOD to save up to 66% off or use the 800 number. That's 1-800-875-0219, 1-800-875-0219, and your savings will be applied instantly. 
Visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code FATHERHOOD and save up to 66% off your order at MyPillow. Put it back into you as a father here. Uh, what, what would you say are the top values that you're hoping to instill in your son as he grows up? Oh, man. I mean, there's a list. Um, <clears throat> I just think that he he must be respectful and uh, he must be empathetic. You know, I think that one of my biggest flaws is that, you know, I'm not afraid to admit it. It's I'm judgmental. You know, I just go in and I and, and I can't help but have a train of thought that's like that's that dance. I don't know if that's the best it's the best dance they could have done. You know, that car. I don't know. I mean, there's better cars, you know, um, for me, everything is competitive. I think that 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 messed me up a little bit. My life was all, always competition you know, professional ballroom, it lets, you know, for everybody who's not really, who can't make a connection, right, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a jock, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm that kid, and if this, if ballroom dancing was football, soccer, you know, baseball, whatever, basketball, right, I'm, I'm that, I'm elite, I'm LeBron coming out of high school, you know, for example, right, so now it's understood, right, a little bit, all my life was about coming in first. All my life, because otherwise, why do it? You know, so you don't have that 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 drive. You're not gonna really get to that place. If you're not gonna get to that place, why do it? Right? Go go choose a different profession. So, it it was tough for me to 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 stop that, you know, or to change that over into into life and reality that this is not a competition. Life is not a competition, you know. You can come in first in the form of a great career, beautiful house, incredible family, you know, backyard, pool, kids, dogs, whatever, right? I can come in first in terms of great career, house, kids, beautiful dog, whatever, right? You don't have to look at my house and say, yeah, my house is bad. You know, like we we tend to get into it that way, right? So I think one thing I want to instill is, is how to figure out I'm still working on it. How to figure out <clears throat> that, you know, for, for Shy and for the rest of our kids, whenever they come, to have that drive, to have that interest, but at the same time, not to overwhelm themselves with everything else is also a competition, you know, because again, now we're talking back to that bachelor stuff and the fact that people, people choose people and all that. Again, it's all competitive, you know, oh, my wife is this, but his wife is that. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not in love with my wife. What is that? What, what was the basis of your relationship you know, to begin with, right? So I want to instill first and foremost that life is not a competition, but you got to compete, right? I'll figure it out. I don't know how to formulate it yet. The second thing is empathy, for sure. You know, this kid needs to be, needs to understand, you know, I kicked a cat one time when I was little. I remember I got an ass whooping. This was back in the motherland, right? So ass whooping was 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 allowed, <laughs> and and I got an ass whooping, and I was like, I couldn't understand why it's just a cat, right? My dad was the, since back then. I remember how it was, like it was yesterday. I was single digits still, and I just kicked the cat, and I was a stray cat. You know, kids in the in the in the whatever, like they were doing their thing, and I did that thing too, you know. And so I got it, and pop saw it from the window, and I got an ass whooping, and then. And then I realize I'm like, you know, that that's not, you know, 
that's not how I need to be. You know, that's not the way to go. That that I I need to make decisions, you know, based on what I believe truly and not based on what people do around me. Again, something extremely relevant today in our day and age with the stupid social media, you know, where nothing is real. Nothing is real. You know, this isn't that type of conversation, but like everything we see on TV, like I tweeted something yesterday about that Meghan Markle and Harry, everybody, the whole world is watching. And I was like, I can't believe this might all be true. And in the same sentence I said, and I cannot believe that I'm saying maybe, you know, or might all be true because I'm leaving the benefit of the doubt because I don't trust anybody. Yeah, I don't trust anybody. You know, because today everyone speaking is pursuing some kind of interest with PR or, you know, otherwise. And so how do you believe, how do you differentiate? How do you get through all this noise, right? So that's something that you need to instill, the non-competitive competitive nature, you know, or ability to differentiate, uh, empathy, and understanding where, you know, it's not about that for you. You know, this is a TV show let that be it and even if it's your friends family even if it's somebody else like you got to live your life you got to believe your beliefs and you got to keep to your fundamental background right and so for the last four years and for the next however many years and for whenever the new kids come and you know whoever is going to be you know i'm my wife and i we're in that rhythm we're in the rhythm of now we've we've assimilated to the life of the parents. I never try to fight the life of a parent. I try not to stop my life and start a new one. I try to make it so that I keep myself to myself too, so that my wife and I keep ourselves to each other as well. You know, and that was through uneducated battles, you know, some unnecessary fights. But I think that where we are is in a perfect balance. We're still working through a lot of stuff, but, you know, a lot of new stuff comes. I, I've never had a four-year-old. And then next year, I, I will have never had a five-year-old, you know, and so on. So I'm looking forward to all those issues because today I feel like we have enough foundation to to get through it and enough understanding to, as we're getting through our drama, not to offset his upbringing, you know, and not to, you know, shake up their foundation. The last thing I'll say is for me, parenting is like building a house. I think it's a very simple sort of analogy. You, if you're if you're just compounding things one on top of another without thought, just bricklaying is not enough. You know, <clears throat> you can build a house not out of brick, but it can be much sturdier, right? Or you can be an idiot and just lay things on top of each other on ground, paint it all yellow and pretend that it's pretty. It's not, you know? So for me, it's very important that it's brick by brick and there's no fault in between because by the time I'm finished building, I'm not going to deal with rotten foundations. So it's very important for me, the day-to-day, the what's happened today What's going to happen tomorrow, the schedule, the sleeping, the napping, the way that he's, you know, eating the way the fact that it's not well, he ate well yesterday. Well, it's not about that. It's about today and tomorrow and every day after that. And I live by example. I try to lead by example. So I do everything I say to do. 
Yeah, very well said. And one of the things that's crazy is I, I feel like I still haven't yet figured out how to be a teenager, and I got two of them now, you know? So it's like I got to try to figure out how to be the parent of the two teenagers. So it, it's a, the, the whole game constantly is evolving, growing, learning, changing, developing, and that's all part of the fun. They're teaching me a lot more about myself uh, Absolutely. than I'm even learning about them. So that, that's why I love the process. Uh, and, and, yeah, and just because, you know, you were on the, the, the max dancer there, did your did your son get a chance to see you in the costume? What did he think about the whole thing? And, and what was the experience <laughs> like for you to be a part of the show? He loved it. Uh, he loved. First of all, the experience was incredible, you know. And and I'm gonna be super selfish about this, and I'll say it like you know I wanted to say it for a long time, but you know, being someone who played, um, um, what did I play on Dancing with the Stars? I was a partner. Nah, but yeah, yeah, I was I was given someone who's experienced this is going to be right. So, excuse me. So I would be, I would be, um, I would be here. You go right. She's now all yours. And I would be like, hey, hi, how you doing? And here's the journey that we're going to be on. And the person will obviously would not have known what they signed up for. Obviously would end, end up in like a lot of drama, you know, a lot of trouble physically. Oh my God, and my body's not holding up because I'm Kirstie Alley and I'm 68 or something, whatever, 61 at that time. And so, you know, or I'm going through some issues and so on and so forth. So for all of a sudden, I have an opportunity to be in a position where I just show up and enjoy the process because that's what we've been telling them. Like, hey, boo. Just show up and enjoy the process. I got you. I got the routine. I got the costumes. I got the timing. I got where you need to be. I'll hold you by your hand for two months. I'll be your psychiatrist, your teacher, your shoulder to cry on, everything, right? And so when the production called and uh, I got invited to to be on Mass Dancer, obviously initially it was a no. You know, for me in my head, I never said it, but initial reactions are come on. You know, we you know, we had a conversation about something completely different. And so then I was like, you know what? I'll do it, but I'll do it under one condition. <laughs> I said I said that I want to show up to work and I want to think about nothing. I want to, you know, if you if it's a dance, get somebody to choreograph it, you know, and I'll do that. I just want to learn steps. I want to be team player, I want to put on the show, I want to do my part, but I don't want to do anything other than that. I don't want to, what I said, and the reason why I said it, it's not because I want to experience what the celebrities experience on our show. That's what everybody thinks. That's not true. What the reality was is that I wanted to um, not stand in my own way. The, the reality, again, this is the first interview where I actually say it, but the reality was that I believe that some of my misinterpreted you know, antics, if you will, on Dancing with the Stars led to me not winning more than I could have. You know, I have one trophy, 18 seasons, and um, it was amazing, honestly. Looking back, everything was the way it was meant to be. But could I have done better? Absolutely. Could I keep my mouth shut? A hundred percent. You know, could I say less critical things of the show and judges and probably would have led to a little more positive response sure but i would probably then also kind of like go away in the background and not be the max everybody knows and all that stuff having said that this is a new opportunity still a competition right that i was walking into and i was like look if you're gonna give me a you know a dance and then say here's four eights choreograph your own thing because you're great at it 
I don't want to do it. And they're like, done, perfect. So I would come into work. Nobody knew who I was. Mass dancer, mass singer is uh, such that this huge NDA. If you tell your mom, she has to sign a non-disclosure agreement. I ended up not telling anybody because I didn't want them to follow up with a here, sign here, whatever. Um, But it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. With Shai, in the beginning, it was kind of like I was one of 10 characters, whatever, 11. So we kind of let it, let him, let him do his thing. Towards the end, when it was becoming prominent, that sloth is doing well. And he's this big creature, giant, furry stuffed animal. Um, he started to notice. And then Peter would say, hey, Shush, this is, this is Papa. It's like, Papa, no way. And then, and then in the finale, big reveal, we actually kept him up. He saw it and he was, he was ecstatic. It was great. He's like, Papa, Papa. So it's you. Um, proudest moment, you know. Because, again, Peter is on Dancing with the Stars still. I'm no longer part of it. Great. But they go to work, you know, in the the fall of last year when Dancing came back. And uh, we weren't able to go in to the lot. But he remembered. And so every time we would pass by waiting for mommy outside of the the CBS lot where it's shot, uh, he would say, mama's work, mama's work. And he, he kind of remembered. And I'm like, what? Papa's work too. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, my do, do you goal, get to keep, do you get to keep the costume or no? No, they go somewhere to like a museum or something under lock and key. It's crazy. By the way, costumes are amazing. amazing. I, I, mean, I, the I whole, see that. The whole thing was like 50 pounds. It was extremely hard to, to, to dance in obviously, but it was great. My whole plan right now, my whole goal is to just, you know, stay physically fit and able to do stuff. And, you know, instead of what I used to have as a goal to just go away in some kind of pre-production and all that is still happening. But, you know, for the sake of having at least one of my children see what Papa can still do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want him to live by, you know, old black and white photos of, you know, Pop's winning a trophy back 30 years ago type of th- st- stuff, you know? Uh, what are, what are your plans here? What, what kind of goals or plans do you have here for yourself in the future? What kind of projects you're working on? Like I said, I was, I was, I was fully committed to moving on to hosting to, uh, again, producing. I'm, I'm, I'm big on putting things together. You know, I don't shy away from a lot of people like, Oh my God, this is above my pay grade. I don't want to deal with this and the other. And so for me, whenever I would, you know, the first time I remember I joined a tour, a tour, you know, it was back in you know beginning of Dancing with the Stars. And there was, I think, the first winter arenas tour, not the first, the last of that sort they ran. And I was given the 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 uh, not just a performer, but I was also a, a choreographer and, and co-director. So it was 32 numbers all choreographed by me. It was amazing. It was a huge, huge experience. But. It was at that time that I realized that I'm just fascinated about everything, how it works. Not just like here I am doing the cha-cha, but like I want to know how many stagehands, how many trucks, how many buses, how many people you have to pay, what's the payroll look like. I want to know everything. And so I think my passion lies in putting things together and producing. But I also want to capitalize on being in front of camera, on being heard. Right. And so we all we all strive for um, audience. Right. And when and, and eyeballs and 
today I can tell you how how incredibly lucky the the us the me you know the people who are on TV are and they don't understand that you know whether it's movies streaming today or you know any kind of this sort of interaction right um, it's uh, it's a privilege you know it's privilege and 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 for me I want that privilege earned right so I want to do stuff that keeps me out there so that I can be given these sort of opportunities and say my piece and explain who I am in my answers um, and this is very important to me because I have a lot to say you know and I think I represent a very sort of not niche not unique but I'm weird I have an accent I've been in this country for almost 30 years you know I'm not they over there I'm also not from over there <laughs> you know what I mean so like I'm kind of like in this limbo in between you know we live in a crazy freaking time you know we've gone through the most ridiculous year we're still sort of stuck in that aftermath we have um, been through a couple of crazy p- political you know movements um I uh, am more than ready not to see my politicians on television. I'm more than ready to focus on entertainment, you know, Um, not to mask the issues and the problems and stop talking about them. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that my particularly job was to come on at 8 p.m. after you've spent the day dealing with your boss, dealing with your loved ones, uh, going through some issues with your kids, uh, dealing with their stupid principals in their school who are just <laughs> a, a, just very strange people sometimes to deal with, um, and turn on the TV, sit down, and watch that dude right here, that guy, you know, this guy, who is really there just to kind of like get my mind off of things, right? I want to be that guy. I've been that guy my my entire life. I know that you know, I have a skill to get your mind off the issues. And I then I can follow up if, sorry, if then I can follow up with something profound that leaves you not just happy, but also kind of like also sort of intellectually and intelligently fed. Um, Then you walk away and maybe you go home or maybe you turn off the TV, turn around, and instead of staying in this conflict, you will try to kind of like, you know what, it's not even worth it. You know, um, I'm not sure if that's far-fetched. I'm not sure if that's thinking of yourself too much or in some kind of whatever. I'm not Dalai Lama, not trying to be, but I'm going to try to be the best version of me every time I'm given an opportunity to be on someone's screen, whether it's in front of one person, a couple of thousand people in the theater, Maybe like 15,000 in arena or, you know, what were we, 39, 32 million back in the day on Dancing with the Stars on Monday nights. I mean, it was it was it was it was good times. Yeah, no, no doubt. And you've been crushing it. I, I love your voice and what you're all about. We definitely need uh, guys like out there with the missions that you have. So I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. And the last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Maxim, I love to ask all the dads that get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad? or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Off the top of my head, um, don't freak out. Don't freak out and, and and freak out, but don't lead to kind of decisions. You know, oh, my God, what is this? This is what we have to do. Just 
just go with it. I freaked out a lot about the whole pregnancy and health. And, you know, I was, I, I, I was freaking out when he was born and how little he was and the, some of the crazy experiences we had and, and that, that it was just too neurotic. I, I, I'm looking forward to other kids, not that I would care less, you know, but I would, I now know how not to go too far. And I want to experience another pregnancy, another birth, another, you know, all this process without it being my first so that I can actually enjoy it, you know, and, um, and not just look back at it in hindsight. But I think that this bullshit but i can't speak in one sentence it's i'm not a soundbite guy do you see why why i had problems on dancing <laughs> uh, they're like they're like answer in one sentence um i think i think that the only thing that i could say if it's concise is you can do it you know to everybody every dad every person every every guy out there who's be, who's trying to be or wants to be or accidentally becomes a dad you can do it you know you can do it and you should do it it's it's in your dna you know, that club, that, you know, night of debauchery, that, you know, time with the boys, not only is it going to come back, it's going to be way more potent and it's going to be way more exciting when you're in your 40s and you trust me, it's more it's more exciting on a golf course or, you know, or, or somewhere else than it would be in a club. Allow that change to happen and, and allow your body to to welcome it you know a lot of these new guys are living some kind of college days and still sort of thinking of themselves in that capacity and you're not that and you shouldn't be it's unnatural you know it is natural to have that fun but it's also natural to then at one point commit to something else you know and this is your wife this is his 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 life her life whoever they are and it's your family unit and you know, and that's the most important thing for men. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been a lot of fun for me. I got to say, Maxim Chemerkovsky, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Maxim Chimorkowski for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Lock it in for Friday. Brazilian jiu-jitsu legend Henzo Gracie joins me on the podcast here. That's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming guest announcements. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first-class fathers.